God, we thank you so much that you uh, use us in such massively amazing ways. God, the fact that I can stand up here and share your message, God. And uh, God, I pray that you would just help me to be silent so that you could speak through me. And I pray for each person here that they would know that they're here for a purpose. They're here on purpose. And God, I pray that you would help them to just receive a message from you today, God, for the things that uh, you just have for them in their life, God. And I just pray that you would help each person to uh, silent that inner monologue that sometimes just uh, goes over our to-do list or what we're going to eat for lunch and all the other plans we have for today. And God, I really pray that you help our ADD social media brains to just focus in on who you are and uh, to have peace in that today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump right into Acts 24. So I want you to open up your Bibles to that. And I want to give you a little bit of context about what's going on because uh, Imago's been in uh, Acts for the last couple weeks. And so I thought I would just give you a little, like, refresher, you know. It doesn't matter if you watch any show on TV. They always have a recap, right, at the beginning of every uh, time you watch it. When you binge watch, like I do things, you usually skip past it real fast on Netflix, right? You're like, I know, I know, I've been here for three hours. I know what's going on. And so... uh, so I'm going to want to do that with today in case you haven't been thinking all about Acts all week, which um, very few of us usually do. So uh, Acts 21 uh, jumps off, and Paul is headed to Jerusalem. And as he's headed that direction, he uh, is kind of going with a bit of just, uh, just like an understanding that that's going to be the, the end for him. You know, as he's headed that direction, as headed to Jerusalem, he kind of assumes that this is going to be it because as he's headed that way, there's many people coming to him and they're bounding him with belts and they're saying, as you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested and killed. And, 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 and he's just starting to get this understanding that this is not going to be a fun trip. And what's amazing is as he heads that direction, he's made peace with it. He, he understands. In fact, the, his friends are kind of trying to tell him, no, don't go, no, don't go, to the point that he is so persistent that that's where he's supposed to be headed that they just say, you know what, well, I guess God's will be done. And I think that's amazing that that's the kind of focus that he has. But here's the important thing to understand is that Jerusalem is not just a destination for Paul. You'll remember that when he came uh, to first know Jesus, he was headed out from Jerusalem with a note, right? So he was a Pharisee of the highest order. He, He was just zealous, and he had a mission to take down Christianity, to take down the way is what we were called uh, back then. And so this uh, going to Jerusalem is not necessarily just going to any kind of destination. It's actually someplace that he knows. It's people that he knows. It's family that he has. It's friends that he made, colleagues that he had. And so when he thinks of Jerusalem, he thinks of those people. He thinks of their faces. And he knows that that's the people that he wants to reach with God's message. He wants them to understand Jesus like he came to know Jesus. And so Paul goes, and uh, what's interesting is as he's worshiping there in Jerusalem, he uh, right away has controversy. And he's been there only a few days, and it's not really that he's doing anything spectacular at the moment. He's simply going to the temple and worshiping God there. And then all of a sudden, controversy hits, and everyone swarms around him, and they, they capture him, and he all of a sudden is on trial and they're saying, you're, you're going to cause a riot. And he's like, I just came to worship God. I don't know what you're talking about. And 
That's when we get to what Pastor Carlos taught about last week in Acts 23, which is the fact that after this trial happens, uh, there's this big riot that's starting to come to, you know, starting to happen. And the, the Roman government then comes in and they capture Paul and they take him out of it. And they say, you're, you're, you're causing all kinds of drama. We're just going to take you away from these religious leaders and we're going to figure this whole thing out. And so it's in jail that uh, Paul all of a sudden has this conversation with Jesus. And this is what Jesus says in Acts 23. He says, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. Now, I want us to take a moment and just look into that for a moment. Pastor Carlos talked about it last week. And I think it's important any time that Jesus randomly shows up on the scene that we should take a beat and say, well, why did he do that? Like, there's a lot of moments in life that Jesus would be a really helpful character to show up in the story, but here he shows up. And I think part of it is that Paul understood that Jerusalem was it for him. That was his end line. He was going to finish the race strong. And he got there, and he got to worship God for a little bit, and then he got arrested, and he started to share the gospel in his trial, and then it got shut down, and it just was like, what was that? Like, what is going on? This is not how I imagined it in my head as I was headed here. It just, like, it seems like he missed in a way, right? It just, like, no one really came to Jesus as in, uh, in his ministry for the couple of days that he was there. So, you know, he has to be sitting in that jail cell thinking, I missed it. I took my shot and it, it's gone, right? And that's when Jesus shows up and he says, no, no, this is just a step. You, you, you came to Jerusalem. Good job. Thanks for following me. Now I need you to understand that you're going to go to Rome and you're going to testify about me. And I think it's important for us to take note of that because I think sometimes we want to have all of the details before we're willing to move. Before we're willing to take that step out with Jesus, we want to have all the facts. We want to know how it's going to play out and we want all those things lined up perfectly and then, Jesus, I'll take my step. But you'll notice here with Paul, that's not what it is about. He took that step and he said, I don't know what's going to happen in Jerusalem, but I'm just going to follow him. As soon as he did, then he got his next orders. He got that next step in the line of to, to cross wherever he was supposed to be going. And so I want to encourage each one of you, don't wait for all the facts before you do God's will. So some of you guys, this can play out in a number of different ways. This could be simply, you know, you're sitting there and all of a sudden someone just comes into your mind and your heart and you're just like, I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for them. Now it's easy for you to just be like, well, I don't know what to pray, so God bless them, that's it. And you kind of kind of get in your head real fast and you say, well, I don't know what's going on in their life, I don't know their situation, maybe I should wait, I think they'll be at church next Sunday, I'll ask them and then, then I'll pray for them. But here's the thing, trust the Holy Spirit that he who put that onto your heart and your mind will also give you the right words. God knows what you're going to say. He knows what you, what, he, what you need to pray. And so just trust the Holy Spirit and his prompts to just pray. I mean, what's the hurt? You're going to pray about the wrong thing? Oh, you're going to bless the wrong thing? Like, well, come on now. But how often I know that I've done this where I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And so I kind of excuse it and continue my day. And so I want to just challenge us, when someone gets laid on your heart, just, just jump in. What, what do we got to lose? The same thing with encouragement. When you, someone gets placed on your heart and you're just like, I just feel like I should send them some kind of encouragement. Maybe I should look up some Bible verses. 
I'll shoot him a text, and then you have that moment in your head that kind of goes off like, you're going to be weird. And you're like, oh, I don't want to be awkward, so I'll just delete that. But what's the harm? Someone's going to get a Bible verse. Someone's going to know that they're thought of, that they're cared for, and be encouraged. It just seems like we sometimes talk our way out of what God wants to do in our life so fast. And the same with giving. When we want to just give something to someone, whether that's uh, financial or just bake some cookies for somebody or whatever, just why, why do we hold back so often where we have this kind of placed in our mind, but at the same time we draw back from it because we fear that awkwardness. I think that a lot of times we miss being a part of what God's doing because we overthink it. I think of my mother-in-law, uh, actually, when I think about this whole subject. She's amazing at this, and she hates it. Uh, and that's just her life. But she, uh, it, she was out to visit not too long ago, and we went to whatever that trampoline place is called now that I don't remember, and they're not sponsoring the sermon, so they don't get no shout-out. Um, <laughs> And so uh, we were over there, and we were having fun with my kids, and um, all of a sudden, it's time to go. And you, you guys know, if you got kids or been around kids or just been into that place to try to get kids out of there, uh, it's just a whole other thing. So we're trying to wrangle the kids. Get your shoes on. Take those socks off. They're ridiculous. You know, and we're trying to get that done. And I've noticed she's gone. I'm like, where did, where did she go? Well, she had noticed when she got there that there was some young guy there who was uh, with a bunch of friends, and he had a T-shirt on that said something about F God, and uh, just kind of she saw it on her radar, and she started praying for him and praying about it, and she just felt it really heavy on her heart that she needed to go over and just talk to him. And uh, she talked herself out of it many a times, and so right before we left, she just had it on her heart, and so she went over and she started talking to him. And she said, you know what, I I don't know your story, and I'm sure you have one, but I just want to let you know that God loves you. And uh, I don't know if anyone misrepresented him to you at any point, but I just want to say I'm sorry, and that he loves you, and I'll be praying for you. And if there's anything that I can pray for you for. And they had this conversation. It wasn't very long. It was three or four minutes, and he kind of just shared a little bit of his experience with Christians, and she kind of just reaffirmed, like, you know, that's not who God is, and I'm sorry that sometimes we get it wrong. And they walked away, and I don't know if this guy ever came to Jesus. I don't know if he ever walked into a church after that. I don't know anything beyond that moment, but I can tell you this, that she watered a seed that was very dry. And I think that's something that's so encouraging sometimes that we just fear this controversy that we make up in our mind, and then we stop from actually doing God's will when he wants to do so much more. So if you want to start having amazing God stories, stop talking yourself out of doing his good work. So, Paul is talking to Governor Felix after he's been, uh, uh, or he's headed to Governor Felix. And the funny thing is, is the reason why he's headed there is because there was a plot against him to murder him on his way to his trial, which is funny because the religious leaders, the whole thing around Paul was that he's telling people not to follow Moses' law, which is interesting because I think somewhere in the top 10 there was something about don't murder, but they're like, now we'll just skate that one for a moment and we'll just focus on the fact that he doesn't want people to do uh, other things. And so he's headed to Felix and uh, Felix is going to be the one who actually hears his uh, trial or the first time. And uh, so Governor Felix uh, has this, uh, this trial and 
the prosecutor comes to him, and that's where we are in Acts 24, verses 5 and 6. And this is what it says. It says, uh, we have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is the ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. Hard-hitting stuff, right? Like, that's his whole thing. I love when he started off. He, he's like, Governor Felix, I know you're a busy man, so I'm just going to keep this short. And that's what he says. Like, that's his best shot as the prosecutor. I have to imagine Paul sitting there being like, three lines? That's all you gave me? You arrested me. What's going on? So it's interesting because then Paul replies back when it's his turn. And he says this. Um, he says, I know for a number of years you have been the judge over this nation. So I'm glad to make my defense Starting at uh, verse 11, you can uh, easily verify there are, are more than 12, or, sorry, you can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went to uh, Jerusalem to worship. My ancestor, my accusers, sorry, my accusers did not find me arguing with anyone in the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anything else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they, have, uh, they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that, my, that is in accordance with the law that is written by the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there, has been the, uh, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked, so I strive always to keep my, my conscience clear before God and men. So I want to stop there for a moment. And as we take note that Paul is able to give an account of everything that he's been doing. He hasn't really done very much yet. Paul has not gotten the chance to really like get ministry going. And he doesn't have small groups. And he hasn't started a church there. There's not a lot of things that he's done there. God's been doing a lot there. But he himself has only been there a few days. And yet what he gets arrested doing is simply just worshiping God. I think something that we can take note there of is that sometimes just the simple act of worshiping God causes controversy. Sometimes when we just worship God, people around us don't like it. You'll see this sometimes, you know, throughout the world uh, where uh, there are churches that are simply just trying to meet and yet they're taken down. I recently was in Asia and we got to do this thing called uh, Teens Encounter Christ over there in Asia. And this country was a closed uh, country. And while we were doing this event there, this youth event there, uh, we were going through the bottom of a building, through a basement, uh, and uh, as we were passing through there, a few of our students got really emotional. And I was like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, I found out that in that basement, around the corner, uh, there was a room there, and in that room was an underground church that had just a few months ago got taken down. They were worshiping one Sunday just like this, and all of a sudden, in the midst of the singing and the praising and hearing God's word, the police filed in and started to arrest people and take people in all of a sudden. And all of a sudden, some families who were a part of that got sent home and they got kicked out and some got taken away. And it was just this big, ugly mess. And so as we walked through there, I suddenly was hit with the reality that these kids knew the danger of simply just worshiping God just wanting to be there, not stir up a big trouble, not try to make a riot, 
to simply raise their hands to Jesus and receive from him. So we shouldn't be too surprised that here, us here in the States, sometimes when we get a little pushback as well, because that's not just a governmental thing, that's a spiritual thing that's happening, and it happens here too. So don't be surprised when uh, you are worshiping God, and maybe you're listening to Christian music, and, and people kind of look at you funny at your office, or uh, you offer up a prayer, and people kind of just look at you weird, and, or your family kind of puts you on this pedestal, and they say, well, you're a Christian, so you should be perfect, and you're like, no, that's why I'm a Christian, like... I'm not perfect. I understand that, right? I serve a perfect God. I'm not perfect. And so uh, don't be surprised when all of a sudden we get some of that persecution as well here for just simply wanting to worship God, not trying to make a big scene here, just trying to live for Jesus. And people sometimes assume a lot about us. Oh, you must vote this way. You must think this way. You must do these things. And you're just like, no, I'm just trying to love Jesus. All that other stuff is secondary. And we're all over the map here at Imago, I'm sure. But there's a difference that I want to clarify because sometimes I've talked to a few people who uh, have this idea that the more they're persecuted, the more holy they are. And sometimes you're persecuted because you love Jesus. And sometimes you're persecuted because you're a jerk. (laughs) And it's important for us to recognize that. So if you are feeling like you're persecuted uh, at your uh, work, it's one thing uh, if you're sitting there and you just lift up a quiet prayer during lunch and you just eat your meal and people kind of look at you weird. It's an entirely different thing if you're yelling at everyone and saying, did you pray to Jesus for that meal? You better bless that bacon, otherwise you wouldn't have been allowed to eat that. You know, if that's you, then you're not being persecuted for your faith, you're being the other thing. And it's one thing to be uh, left out at your work or your friends because you're a Christian. Maybe they don't want to invite you to the party or they don't want you to go to an event because they're afraid that you're going to judge them. And that sucks. It's an entirely different thing if they don't want to invite you because every time that they walk by your office or your cubicle, you say, repent center, right? (laughs) Or you're running around the the town and constantly holding up signs saying, repent, repent, because... That just makes you awkward to talk to. And yeah, I don't know if I want you at my birthday party either. I'm just trying to blow some candles out. I already love Jesus. All that to say is there's a difference with the way we act. When it comes to sharing Jesus' love and light, we should actually go back to how Jesus actually did it, right? There are several times that he did call people to repent, but he did so lovingly. And he did so kindly. And he wanted people to truly understand it. And he was way more about winning the person than the argument. But he was Jesus, so he did both. But many times I want us to remember that as well, that we want to win people over, not just arguments. And even though we have the good news and we have the right answers, I want us to caution us to remember the love first before we try to win first. So then uh, what's interesting in verse 16, it says, uh, Paul was saying, so I strive always to keep a clear conscience before God and man. And Paul is pointing out that he has lived in a way that he is at peace with his actions. He's at peace with the way he's lived things out for God. But that doesn't mean that Paul never stepped on anyone's toes. That doesn't mean that he was meek and always just let people do what he wanted. Paul was one of the first ones to constantly call people out and say, you know what, you need to change your life. You need to come to Jesus. You need more of him and less of you. And he was one of the first ones to speak up. 
but he never had a, a moment where he was sad about like the fact that he said this to someone or anything like that. And I think that's something that we can take note of is how often can we say that, that we're at peace and have a clear conscience before God and men. After this short uh, trial, uh, Governor Felix postpones the judgment and keeps Paul arrested for two years. For two years, he's imprisoned, just waiting for a judgment to come down, which Felix actually will never give. And what's interesting is in that two years, uh, Governor Felix and he brings his wife in, and they both will listen to Paul uh, several times during that time to hear what he has to say. And Paul will speak to, to Felix and his wife about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. What's interesting is those three. It's usually when you notice that they're preaching or anytime they're sharing the good news, it'll be righteousness and judgment. But self-control is usually one of those fruits of the Spirit. That's something that you'll, you'll give counsel to people who already know Jesus. So it's interesting that Paul is sharing this with Felix at that point. But you've got to understand who Felix is. He's the governor. He's the ruler. But he is not someone who has a lot of self-control. In fact, he and his wife, this is his third marriage, and the way that he got this wife is that he met her while she was already married to somebody, and then he basically swooped in and promised her all these, this amazing life and all these riches and all these great things. And so she left her husband and married Felix, and that's how they got married. And not only that, Felix in a few years will actually be ousted from uh, his uh, seat because he started a riot against uh, protesters who were against him. And he sent his military in and killed a bunch of them. And so that just caused a big riot. He's not someone that has a lot of self-control. So Paul is speaking right at where Felix is falling short. He's sharing that you need to understand that if you don't get this, Felix, you're going you're gonna to lose it all. And what's interesting is the Bible also says that uh, Felix and his wife were coming because they were hoping that uh, Paul would give them a bribe to get out. That's why he was holding them, just wanting to get financial gain. His greed kept Paul there. But God used Felix's greed to allow Paul to speak into his life. I love that. How often I can look back on my own life and notice the points where my own sin, uh, God used that to get my attention. The way that uh, he used certain situations in my life where I came and hit a wall out of my own sin. And it was because God wanted me to start to turn around and understand who he was. And I think that's exactly what was happening here with Paul and Felix. I think Jesus was trying to get Felix's attention, but he just kept ignoring him, ignoring him, ignoring him. For each of us, we should understand this important thing, just like Paul, that sharing the gospel will sometimes come at a cost. Sometimes when you share the gospel, it'll come at a cost. It took uh, uh, Paul two years of his life of sharing the gospel with Felix. And we don't know if Felix ever came to Jesus. That's not reported, but it's not likely. But what we can know is that when we ourselves when we share the gospel, it's not always going to be convenient. It's not always going to be on our time. It's not always going to be nice and pretty and perfect. In fact, I think of my son, Titus. Uh, he's, uh, been, uh, he's at this age now where he's asking questions and uh, like trying to understand this faith that we have. And so recently he's asked, like, why do people not 
uh, believe in Jesus. He doesn't really understand that because in our house we do. And uh, then randomly he asked, uh, you know, uh, that he had a question about why people sinned after the ark. He's like, we reset. Like, why did sin come back? Like, didn't we get rid of that when everyone else died? And I was like, that's a really good question, son. Uh, but here's the thing. Sometimes he asks those questions. When we got time, you know, I'm doing something, I'm like, I'll just set this down. We need, to, we need to talk, son. Like, this is great. I'm going to take care of this moment. But most of the time, it's, you know, as we're driving to school and he's in the back seat where I can hardly hear him and he asks this, like, theological question and we got three minutes till I get to school and I'm already running late. So, like, uh, okay, uh, well, Jesus loves you and, like, you, know, you got to kind of give him the best you got. You got three minutes, you just give him what you got, right? And, you know, usually it's too, like, you know, you're half asleep still. You only had a half a cup of coffee. Breakfast is, like, still on the counter and you missed it, right? And it just, it, that's the kind of mode that sometimes you get when you get to share the gospel. And that's how it's going to be. In my 13 years of following Jesus, I have rarely had a time where someone just came to me and said, uh, I, wanna, I want you to share Jesus with me. Like, almost Never. No one's ever, like, you know, hit me up on a Sunday and they said, hey, can we set up an appointment and I can ask a few questions about the faith that you have? And, and here's a list of my questions so you can be prepared and feel ready for them, like, just so that everything's on the up and up. I've never had that experience. I feel like that would be amazing and also weird. Uh, but, <laughs> but it's usually at, the, at midnight with a young person who uh, just all of a sudden has a breakthrough and God's doing something in her life or it's, uh, you know, uh, early in the morning or it's right before youth group or church service that someone's like, hey, can I grab a minute? And I'm like, yes, yes, let's do this. Or it's at the end, like after a really long night and I just drove this person home and they're sitting in the car and we've had 20 minutes to talk and then that's at that point when I pull up to their house that they say, no, this is going on in my life. And I was like, was it going on in your life 20 minutes ago when we started this car ride? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but you sit and you listen because that's what is the most important. Sometimes sharing the gospel, sharing God's love will come at a price. And we should be happy to pay that price. I love how 1 Peter 3, uh, 15 and 16 says, uh, Peter is advising uh, the church's and he says, but in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness, respect, keep a clear conscience so that those who speak mal maliciously against your, your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. What's interesting is that Peter is writing this to everybody. He's not writing just to the leaders of the church. He's not reading, writing just to those who have been with the church for a long time. He's not writing just to uh, the, the people who don't have anything else to do. He's writing to every person who calls on the name of the Lord. Everyone. If you say that you love Jesus, if you follow him, he's writing this to you. Be ready. Be ready to share the reason for the hope that you have. Be ready to share in, uh, to anyone that asks. Anyone. Jesus wants to use us. And so, you, so you're going to get this sometimes where someone's going to say, why do, you, why, do you, why do you go to church? I don't understand. Uh, why, why do you hang out with that group of people? They're so different than you. They're, I mean, 
look at Imago. We're all over the map, and that's beautiful. But, but why? Why? Why do you listen to that scripture? Why do you, why do you give of your money to that building and that group of people? Why do you give your time and your talent? Why, why do you do those things? We should be ready as Christians to say why to jump on that opportunity to share God's love with people at any stage. It doesn't matter if you've been with Jesus for 30 years or 30 minutes. It doesn't matter. This is for you to be able to share your experience of why you follow Jesus with anyone. But here's the question, Imago. Are you ready? Do you live with that intentionality, that readiness to be able to share that with whoever God calls you to share that with? Because he's going to put people in your path, whether that's at your work or just as you go to Starbucks or as you go to your favorite restaurant or wherever you go. He's going to start to put those people into your life, and he wants you to share the reason for your hope. So are you ready? Because he has great things in store for you. It's just about us being willing to say, yes, God, I'll say whatever you want me to say. And God, I need you to use me in this because it's not about me. It's not about me having the right words or me having the right thing to pray for this person or to say or anything like that. It's about you taking it over. And I love this that, you know, when God calls us to do something, usually it's going to require a lot of him in us. And so if you're like, I don't have the right words. I don't even know what to say. Good. Rely on Jesus. When I get up here, that's my first prayer every time before I really start because I got to tell you, I don't know what to say. When I'm sitting there, I, I hate it. I, I just like, everything's going to fall apart, and I'm going to forget everything. And it's only Jesus that I get up here and remember anything that I wrote a couple days ago or, or, or sometimes last night. But here's the thing. Jesus will use you in some spectacular ways. So if you want to multiply your faith, then live ready to share God's love. You want to you wanna multiply? You want to see something grow here at Imago or even just in your own life? Then live ready to share God's love and your faith with people around you. So I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray for each one of you guys that you guys would be ready to do what God has for you because he has big things in store. I believe that truly to my heart. I've seen that in my life and I've seen that in a number of other people's lives. That God wants to use people who are willing to just say, yes, God, I will, and live ready. So let's pray. Oh, God, I thank you so much that you don't just use pastors and people who have educations behind them or years of experience. You don't just use them, although you do. God, I pray that you would just help us to understand that each one of us has a part to play here. Each one of us has something to give to people, a way to bless people. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to be willing to open up our mouths and our hearts to you, to share our experiences that you've given us with people around us. And holy God, I thank you that you use us weak people to do amazing things. I pray for more testimonies here at Imago, more people coming to know you, because people are just willing to love people with your love. Fill our hearts with your love. Fill our minds with your thoughts. Fill our mouths with your words. And God, I thank you that we don't have to do this alone, that we get to do this as a, a family here at Imago. Thanks for loving us, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray.